0: Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Welcome, everyone. I am your damn guide, Arnie. Now, I'm about to take you
1: through a fully functioning power plant. So please, no one wander off the damn tour. And please take all the damn pictures you
2: want. Now, are there any damn questions? Yeah, we're going to get some damn bait. Michael Preston.
1: We are back. We are back in tan. Well, slightly tan. I used SPF a billion while we were in Mexico and drank more Modelo. I, I don't think there is any Modelo left in Mexico after what I've done to it. Welcome back to the Kook Center Hour. After our week off, we enjoyed it in the sunshine, south of the border, down Mexico Way, as Frank Sinatra used to sing. We got a big show for you, Theo Lawson, new beat writer for the Spokesman Review. Covers Washington State football. Going to join us also the head volleyball coach Jen Greeny. Going to stop by. We're so happy to have her every single year uh, to give us a preview of her team and how they look heading into the 2017 season. After, might I add, their first appearance in the NCAA tournament in eight in uh, seven years, and their first win in the NCAA tournament in nearly 15. So it's been a long time since the team's been that successful. We'll get to all of that in a little bit, but uh, a, a piece of good news besides the fact that the show is back this week. Last week without Cougar football. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat to say? Last week without Cougar football until at least the end of November. Three solid months. Well, okay, I guess there's that bye week in there, but... Whatever. You get my drift. There is some college football this weekend, too. Not particularly great games. I guess Stanford Rice is pretty good, but that's all the way. It's 7 o'clock at night on ESPN, and they're playing that game all the way in Australia. G'day. My, I'm awful at the Australian accent. Uh, but really, college football gets kicked off next week. Bunch of games on Thursday, Friday, and then, of course, heavy on Saturday, Couple on Sunday, one on Monday as well, and I, I love that. You know, that first weekend before the NFL kicks off, that college football can just go bonkers with the how spread out they get in terms of you know you got you got games every day from Thursday through Monday. That's pretty freaking excellent. That's pretty freaking awesome. I love that. But this is this is the last week without Cougar football for quite a while, and it, it's you know you you kind of get past those dog days of camp where. These guys are finally kind of getting tired of just hitting each other, and they want to go hit somebody else. You'll get a little bit of that this week. They had Monday off because of the start of school, and we're going to talk to Theo in a little bit, and as he'll point out, Mondays are probably going to be the days off they get for the rest of the season, regardless. But at this point in camp, you kind of get to the point. Well, I guess it's not really camp anymore, but in practice, where you just you want to hit somebody else. You're tired of running drills. You're tired of doing all these things. You're tired of not scouting someone. And now is that point in time where you really got to power through it. Even even for people covering the team. I mean, I've been, I was never out there on the field running around trying to smack somebody in the face. But, you know, even as somebody covering the team, it's like, yeah, I can only write the same dang thing so many days in a row. And it gets to, you get into the dog days of it. It it, it gets to be an absolute grind. But you're coming out of it, and this, again, this is the last week where you really got a chance to work on the fundamentals and really improve things because starting next week you're game prepping. And I, I you know I don't I don't believe in a lot of folks want them to focus on first game of the year right off the bat in campus. No, there's no benefit to spending a month on a team, especially a team that you know is not as good as you and plays at a lower division. There's no point in doing that because you're not going to do that the rest of the season. You're going to get a week tops to focus on everybody. UW get 2 weeks. You you just you don't get that much time elsewhere in the season and even before the Apple Cup. I can assure you they're not going to be practicing every day the week they have a bye week. They will be resting. They will be recuperating. They will be doing anything other than practicing for a few days. But this is that last week without game prep, without something to look forward to at the end of the week, without a game. There's no game at the end of this week. So if you can get through this week, if players can get through this week, coaches get through this week, And then there's light at the end of the tunnel starting Sunday. There's that light at the end of the tunnel. That opener that has been such a bugaboo for you under Mike Leach. Have not won one yet, including two losses to FCS teams in consecutive years. Last year, more forgivable. Eastern is a very good football team. But again, you know, still shouldn't be doing that. I I say forgivable in the loosest possible sense in terms of how forgivable it truly is. This is a team that has got to come out of the gate and smack Montana State in the mouth. We're going to talk more about that next week. We get more into it, <clears throat> excuse me. But it, it, it—you kind of get that feeling that in this year, if they want to live up to expectations—and again, my expectations are not as high—but if they want to live up to most people's expectations, they got to come out of the gate and they got to win by forty or fifty. I mean, that's just—that's got to be. You got to take it out on Montana State and show everybody that you're not taking it lightly, especially. If for the first time in 15 years, you're ranked to start the season. Number 24 in the preseason AP poll. Uh, that shows you that everybody else's expectations are finally there. Despite losing your final three games. You know, losing what was a close one. And then Colorado blew you yeah, out. UW wasted you. And then Minnesota had all those issues before they even played the game. And you still lost to them in a just a sloppy football game. Even after those three games, there are expectations here. And I suppose there should be with a senior quarterback, an All-American on the offensive line, stable, a good running back, some receivers that still have some things to prove, and a defense that is not going to be, you know, doesn't lose a huge amount of depth. You do lose Shalom Luwani, Robert Barber, those guys. But overall, they bring a lot of guys back. And again, it's all that returning experience. All that experience back on both sides of the football—that's what gets you to number 24 before the season even starts, and depending on what happens, sets up a top 25 matchup the following weekend. I mean, I mean, you, you can't ask for you know, you know, uh, uh, what should be a tune-up game, what should be a game where you get the kinks worked out, and then you get to play Boise State at home. Probably going to be a top 25 matchup. And, or at least there's a distinct chance of it. And you had a chance to smack him in the mouth and prove him wrong from last year when you came back and nearly won that game. And had it not been for a pick six at the beginning, maybe you would have. Boise State looked completely lost in the second half of that game last year. And you basically return everybody and they lost one of their best offensive weapons. They still have Brett Ripon. They don't have Jeremy McNichol anymore, though. No reason to think that that's not a very winnable football game. And the expectations, again, are there as these guys continue to go through camp, now into practice, one more week of practice, and then you're game prepping. That's what it, This is what it has all come down to, all that time in Lewiston, back up in Pullman. And they call it the dog days of camp for a reason because it just gets to be so, repet- so dang repetitive. So repetitive, no matter the team. I don't care who you root for. These days get repetitive. Even the best coaches have trouble keeping it from getting that way. So finally, you're going to be out of that next week. You're going to be able to game prep. You're going to be able to find somebody to hit, for lack of a better word. And, there, and there's going to be motivation to do it. There's film to be watched, and You're finally back in that mode where you're game prepping. I'm tailgate prepping, for one thing. I'm, I'm prepping by drinking beer. I'm getting my liver ready. So I, I have I have also been practicing. But a season with expectations this high, we haven't seen it in a while. Haven't seen it since two thousand and two, at least as far as the at least as far as the national media is concerned. Haven't seen it for quite a while. Have not been ranked preseason since two thousand and two. When you went to the Rose Bowl. And I'm not insinuating anything off of that. Because again, my expectations are lower. But the last time you were ranked this high, you went to the Rose Bowl. Now, not an option this year unless you're in the CFP. Cougs could be better than I think. I don't think anybody thinks they're going to be that good. And that's fine. But preseason top 25 gives you expectations of a New Year's Day or later bowl. That's what it gives you. I mean, I mean, it really does, and I and I know, you know. Show me a top twenty-five preseason poll that looks even remotely the same after the last week, and I have waterfront property to sell you in the Mojave. Although I guess that analogy doesn't really work. Either way, the point stands: they're never, they're rarely ever the same, rarely ever the same or close. So I don't know where WSU's going to end up—higher, lower, out of it completely, whatever. But starting with that number in front of your name at the beginning of the season gives the expectations. It gives out, you know, it it, it you, you have those big, grandiose ideas even from the national media now that this team can do something. And you have to get through this last week of camp without game prep to come home and get into that, that first week of game prep and exceed those expectations. Because... This first game is nationally broadcast. Everybody's going to be able to watch it, even though it starts at ten thirty on the East Coast. This is the nightcap. This is the ro- the scoop of rocky road at the end of your meal on that first Saturday on that first Saturday of college football. Can number twenty four Wazoo third times a charm against a Big Sky team? God, please, God, please, please God. Theo Lawson for the Spokesman Review, new beat writer. For Washington State. He joins us next here on the Beach Center. Coog Center, our Washington State in the top 25 for the first time in more than a decade. 2002 was the last time they were ranked in the top 25 before the season started. Our guest uh, picked a really good time to start covering the football team at WSU. He's the new beat writer for the Spokesman Review, more handsome than Jacob Thorpe. I could probably make that argument even though I've never met him. Uh, Theo Lawson joins us here on the Coog Center Hour, more or less handsome than Jacob Thorpe. That's a very important question to ask uh, right off the top here.
2: I think you guys are going to have to make that determination for, for yourselves. I'm not going to do it. Jacob's a good friend, so I, I'm not going to throw him under the bus. But um, and I, know, I know you've had two of my predecessors on the show the last few weeks with uh, Jacob and Vince. So I'm glad you uh, mm-hmm. saved the best for last.
1: So yeah. I'm honored to be on. <laughs> he won't. He won't say whether he's. Be- he won't say whether he's the most handsome, but he will say he's the best. I like that kind of moxie. Uh, Theo. Comes to the spokesman from the Lewiston Tribune. You covered WSU basketball, and that will also be part of your job here with the spokesman, Theo. So you're not completely unfamiliar with the WSU athletic department because of those years you spent at the Lewiston Tribune covering basketball at the same time you covered Idaho football.
2: Right, yeah, I covered WSU basketball full-time and uh, didn't, didn't travel quite as much, but uh, you know, I was able to go down to Vegas every year for the conference tournament, cover all the home games. Occasionally made it over for a football game. Wrote a sidebar. I went to all the best games. I went to the Portland State game a few years ago. Uh-huh. I went to the Apple Cup last year. So all, all, all the all the games that Cougar fans remember, uh, I, I was at.
1: Lucky you. Uh, <laughs> we'll start off your first uh, Theo uh, camp, or you know, fall camp. Uh, I guess you know you would call it "quote unquote" over now, as we kind of get more into the game prep portion. Uh, Of practice. Uh, This is the last week these players will go uh, without a football game to play on Friday or Saturday. What's just kind of been your evaluation? Because I know like you said, you didn't cover the team, you know, intimately the last few years, but you were at least familiar with them covering Idaho football. You're on the Palouse. So what has been your impression of this team so far uh, from the start of uh, camp at the beginning of August?
2: Uh, You know, I I think just kind of going from what I was covering the last few years, and then this, this is, of course, no knock against uh, Seattle Vandals. I, I think they're, they're a great team. I think they're going to have a great season, but just, just, just the, uh, the caliber of athletes uh, that are at the WCU, and I'm sure everywhere on the Pac-12, it's no different, uh, really, anywhere you go, but um, just, just the caliber of these athletes, they're, they're big, they're strong, and, and they're fast, so um, I think it's just gonna kind of been fun, too, to kind of get used to watching them every day, and you, you kind of appreciate the, the, uh, the quality of it, really for the team itself, you know, they, they're, I think, pretty much every, what everyone's expecting them to be, great on offense. I, I think they're going to make strides defensively uh, the, the first few weeks. It, it's been pretty crisp. There's been a few sloppy days, a uh, few days where, where the offense looks a lot better, a few days where the defense looks a lot better. I think you get that at every camp in America. Uh, for example, the last week it was the offense winning the scrimmage handily. A few days ago the defense won handily. So it, it's been a mix. I, I think that's what you want to see. You don't want to see one Of those two groups, you know, when when uh windfall camped, you know, dominantly, but uh, but I think I think it's gonna be a well rounded team, and I think they're they're pretty strong at, at a lot of positions, and that's probably why you know they uh were ranked number 24 this morning.
1: I, I look at you know all those positions, Theo, and I, I i guess I'm most worried offensively about wide receiver, it's tough to replace guys like Gabe Marks and River Craycraft. We saw how hard it was to replace. Uh, River Craycraft at the end of last season. I know Robert Lewis uh, may have been heard some of the players on Twitter seem to uh, indicate that he may have a long-term injury uh, and so before the season even starts you might be taking a hit at wide receiver but we you've seen guys like Renard Bell, Jamary Calvin uh, and uh, Aesop Winston as well coming in from junior college do should we expect kind of those guys to play right away I know Bernard Bell's a redshirt freshman but are we expecting Winston and Calvin to get some serious playing time uh, here at the beginning of the season
2: yeah I, I think especially on the inside you kind of worry a little bit about the depth and, and the, there just aren't too many proven players you have Kyle Sweet I think he can turn into a good player I think he's solid I think he has a lot of I'm not going to compare him to Craig Craft uh, but I think he has some Craig Craft qualities he, he's going to fight for hard yards he, he's a good worker uh, you know he's, he's he's mentally strong, so so I think they like they like a lot of things about him. And then, like you said, Robert Lewis. Uh, yeah, I, I, of course, I can't report on the nature of whatever happened to him, but he, he did not finish the scrimmage the other day, and he started it. So I can say that much. And I, I think anyone who was at Martin Stadium, would also uh, say that they they saw the same thing. So uh, you're not you're not quite sure about him right now. I you know I, I, it doesn't seem like something that's going to drag on too far into the season. But uh, but you know you're going to have to have some guys step up, and I think. You thought Winston's going to be one of those guys, and I really have been impressed with Jameer Calvin. Of course, it's only a few weeks into fall camp. A lot changes once you once you get into that field on a Friday night, a Saturday night against a real opponent. There's people watching. You're under the lights. So a lot changes when you're when you're in that setting playing your first uh, college football game. But I've been really impressed with him. He's he's one of the quicker players on the field. A uh, crisp route runner. He's he's physical for his size. Doesn't seem to kind of shy away from um, from from you a good defense he, he kind of he kind of appreciates um the physicality of, uh, of the college game it seems and I, I think he's kind of built for this so i think you're going to see a lot of him this year I, i'm not sure if he, if he's the type of guy that's going to be a freshman hall american or, or just a contributor it's hard to tell yet but mm-hmm. he's looked really good throughout ball camp and, and so, so, I, so i think on the inside i, I think that is where they are the, the least deep but but i think they have some guys who have been solid throughout fall camp. And, you know, if if that kind of continues throughout the the month of September, I
1: think they'll be fine. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, another position offense where we may see a little shuffling at uh, offensive line. Andre Dillard, Cody O'Connell, Cole Madison, obviously very established uh, where they are. I mean, heck, you know, Cody O'Connell was unanimous All-American, and he's getting All-American honors again uh, in the preseason. But it's center and right guard uh, where we're obviously going to see some changes, we need to see some changes because of graduations. Uh, what are where, where are you seeing those two positions uh, as they line up here? You know, we're more than a week away from a game against Montana State, but if if the game were going to be tomorrow, who would start at those positions? You think?
2: Well, you know, at center, I think at, at this point it's pretty established that uh, Frederick Maugo is your guy. He's, he's been solid throughout camp. Uh, you know, I, I think. I think he's he's kind of been the guy there since since the spring, it sounds like, and then not much has changed. He's he's really solidified his position. Uh, right guard, I think it's going to be, uh, of course, BJ Salmonson. He's kind of seemingly going into the camp. There might be a little uh, position battle between him and Robert Valencia. You mm-hmm. saw Valencia maybe with the first team a, a few of those first days, but really since then it, it's been all Salmonson. So I think they're pretty comfortable with, with the five they have right now. Uh, Cole Madison hasn't been practicing the last few days. I'm not, I'm not sure what, what his status is right now, but um, I, I think they have a few guys kind of shuffling in and out. And, and uh, Of course, what, what, like you said, you know what you have with Dillard, uh, Madison, and, and, and O'Connell. both three of those guys are healthy. So um, I, I think they're, they're pretty solid with, with their, their first unit offensive line. The, the, the twos are still up in the air right now. They have a lot of guys shuffling in and out. One week it'll be five completely different guys than you saw the week before. Uh, there's a few guys who I think are are kind of in that in that two group, uh, you know, for for the long run. I think Robert Valencia is kind of your your sixth guy. If one of those top five guys gets hurt, I think he's he's going to be the next guy in. Um, but he also hasn't been uh, been a full participant practice lately, so um, it, it seems like maybe the, the the line is a little bit dinged up right now. But if they can stay healthy throughout the year, I think they have five solid stars and then their 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 sixth guy is someone that they feel really confident in, kind of filling in any any five of those spots.
1: We I know we talked about running back here uh, just even on this show just so far this year and that, you know, compared to how it's been uh, WSU, I mean, frankly, any position you could say this, but especially running back compared to how it's been, I mean, you just have this absolute stable of incredible running backs back there. And it's almost difficult to get these guys uh, the amount of touches they may or may not want. That's a very good problem to have, obviously. But, I you know, with Keith Harrington back in the mix at running back again, Uh, with James Williams, with Jamal Morrow, with Gerard Wicks. It seems like Jim Mastro, again, has a good problem on his hands, but I think he's kind of said so far this fall camp, look, we're just not going to be able to get all four of them touches, so it's going to have to pretty much be three of them, isn't it? You know, we already kind of know the three, so is Keith Harrington kind of going to be the odd man out, you're feeling, or is there going to be a way that they can find him, they can get him the football somehow? Yeah, I talked
2: to Jim Mastro last night, and I I think there's going to be Scenarios in the game where you're going to be able to use all four. And you know, like like you said, I, I don't know if Gerard Wicks and, and Keith Harrington are going to get nearly as many touches as James O'Leary and, and Jamal Morrow. Uh, but but I think there are situations where you want Gerard Wicks' strength and his power on the goal line in the third and short, fourth and short, where where he can just get you that one yard you need, just because he is uh, probably the strongest uh, guy of that group, definitely the biggest. So, so so I think there are going to be situations where. You, know, you can kind of put Keith Harrington out wide. He, he's, he's quick. He's elusive. He, he does a few things. He has a little more experience playing receiver. But I think there's going to be different situations where you can use all four. But, yeah, I think when you, when you look at the, that group, I think starting at the top, James Williams really really seems to be kind of emerging as the, as the front runner there. And now coming into camp, it kind of seemed like it would either be Jamal or James. James has by far been the best back the last two scrimmages. He just brings brings an element to, to that running game that, I don't think they have with any of the other players, and I think you know we could be talking about him as one of the better running backs in the conference. Uh, but by the time the year's over, of course, it's still early; he has to play in games. We'll see how that pans out. And then you kind of know who you have with Jamal Morrow; he, he's going to be able to take hold, t- take a load of carries and, and get you the yard you need. So mm-hmm. I, I think it, it it is a great problem to have. It, like you mentioned, it's a problem that uh, WCU hasn't had in quite some time. Yeah. I think it also kind of helps them recruit for the position because I think a lot of uh, a lot of high school players are. Hesitant to even give WC a look just because they know what the air raid offense is and they, they, they assume there's, there's no opportunities. But when you look at how much they ran it last year, like when, you know when you see how much they're going to run it this year, I think it only means good things for, for them on a recruiting trail. They can kind of bring in some of, some of those running backs maybe that uh, weren't looking at the school initially. But I think they're going to have to use all four guys. And, and uh, like Jim Master mentioned, these guys get tired, so you're going to have to spell them throughout games. Yeah. If there's a game where you're going to run it a little more than usual. It's going to be nice to have three or four just just because of fatigue, and then you can get some fresh legs out
1: there. One, we mentioned you know, the depth issues at receiver. We might be seeing a little bit of it if Robert Lewis's uh, injury is more long-term. But uh, I think another area, obviously the big area where we're all worried about depth is the defensive line. Nambi Aguayo was back on the field uh, this weekend. That's very good news up front. But Daniel Aquales, is your one true nose tackle. You have Hercules Mata'afa up there. You have a lot of talent up front Theo but it's it's just it's so precariously thin uh, up there what have you seen from these guys at camp just in terms of their skill set and you know obviously any, an injury can happen at any time but just in in terms of your evaluation of them so far this camp how have they been
2: yeah well, well I know that that's the position group that uh, seems like most people are kind of down on this year they you know when you look at the, the, the overall size you know the, those those three have to be you know if, if not the smallest group in the pack 12 one, of, one of, that they're not going to match, you know, USC, UW, size-wise. They're not going to have the, the, the big, fast guys that those schools tend to have every year, and then tend to have, you know, three or four groups of them. WC doesn't have that, and that, that's kind of not what Alex Grinch wants. You know, it's it's the speed D here all the time, speed D. So so they don't. Um, it's not that they don't care about the size. I'm sure if they have the the option to recruit those same players that the other schools have, that they would, and they would, they'd bring them in. But they're they're kind of making do with what they have, and I think what, what they have is is, is a great. Front group of three. Beyond that, I'm not sure uh, how much depth they're going to have. A, a lot of those guys, I think they feel strong about, but they just don't have the, the game experience, and and, uh, and and they haven't really shown the depth in, in a real game. So I think, uh, of course, with Hercules off I think he's going to be one of the strongest kind of pound for pound D linemen in the Pack bowl. I know he doesn't have the size that you might want, but but I think he's really going to have a, a stellar uh, stellar year. I've spent a lot of time actually watching the D line or so line drill during practice some of those battles with uh, Cody O'Connell where it's just one versus one, Hercules versus Cody, two of the better position players in the country at uh, what mm-hmm. they do, and I think I'm going to try to write about this a little more in the next week or so. But, you know, I, I, Hercules is, is the one winning those battles more often than not. He's, he's just so quick. The moves he pulls out, it's, it's uh, you know, it's really fun to, to, to just kind of watch the back and watch that for 20-30 minutes and then watch those two go at it. And yeah, um, I, I really think people are going to be impressed with Daniel Quali. I know he's not what you want size-wise from a nose tackle, but yeah. uh, but he's put on 15 pounds. Uh, they, they all seem to think he's, he's quicker, stronger. He, he's just a better athlete than he was last year. And, um, he's, he's he's looked pretty good throughout fall camp too. So, and, and granted, against a pretty good offensive line. So, I think I think that that group might surprise people a little more than. Um, uh, than, than we expected, but uh, but you know, if, of course, if, if one of those three guys go, goes down, you you start to become unsure about the depth you have behind those three. You mentioned Namdi Aguayo. He, he looked really good in the scrimmage the other day too, had a sack, mm-hmm. at a uh, field goal block, so so I think with those three, you know what you have, but we'll, we'll have to see. Hopefully, they have an opportunity to, to get some snaps, and that is an opener, and, and you feel good about the game, so you can Put some of those guys in and get them experience
1: before you're having to play these Pac-12 teams. I like I like hearing that Mercules Mataafa is winning a battle against an All-American. That is, that is, that is very nice. I like that. Uh, elsewhere on the defense, there's been some position battle at Nickelback through camp uh, and maybe a little bit of shuffling in the secondary. Who will start opposite? Uh, Darian Moulton. Seems like Marcellus Pippins is going to be the guy. You've got Robert Taylor and Jalen Thompson. Uh, back there as well, but I, I think everywhere else on the defense, Theo, things seem at least a little settled down in terms of who's going to be there uh, to start the season. Would that be the correct evaluation?
2: Yeah, and I, I think at most of the spots, you actually have pretty good depth. You know, at, at linebacker, of course, you, you know what you have with Payton uh, Floer and Isaac Dodson, that those two are going to be steady and sturdy. Um, you know, Behind them, you're, you're not quite sure about what you have, but, but when you go back to the secondary, you talk about the nickel battle. It's really just been everyday battling back and forth. Uh, it'd be Hunter Dale and then Kirkland Parker. Uh, one, one day you'll see Dale working with the, with the one offense. One day it's going to be Parker. They both bring something a little different. I think Dale's, you know, m- maybe the guy with a little better football IQ, just because he's he's played the position for a little longer. He's he's kind of cerebral back back there, and mm-hmm. um, and he's make the, the, the smart play. Uh, they love Kirkland Parker Parker's speed and strength. So so, so they both bring something different. Maybe it kind of depends on who you're playing and, and, and what, what you want there at that nickel spot. But uh, it, it's going to be, you know, I think we're going to have to wait until that depth chart's released to see who's going to be starting between Hunter and then Kirkland Parker right now. I, I think my guess would be would be Hunter, um, but that's going to be a fun battle to watch. And, and, and obviously both are going to get plenty of playing time. So it's another spot where you have two guys who can spell each other throughout a game and neither and of them are going to get too fatigued. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then back in the secondary, you mentioned the battle between Marcus Strong and Marcel Pippin. That's another one where one day it's Pippin, the next day it's Strong. It's so back and forth, and and you kind of, you know, I think as a fan, maybe you kind of want to see Pippin step up and then take that spot just because he's been there so long. You you want the senior to be the guy you have back there if he's good enough to do it. But uh, but Marcus Strong is is, is solid too, and. I think he's he's athletic. I think he's going to have a a, a pretty long career there. And of course, at safety, you have two guys who, who are known commodities: Jalen Thompson, and Robert Taylor. I have have some experience now, and then uh, Darian Moulton, too. So I think you feel pretty decent about your your secondary. I think some of the some of the better passing attacks in the in the Pac-12 could give them trouble. It, c- certainly, the WC receivers give give them trouble on a daily basis in, in practice. But uh, but you know, I, I think that only kind of makes them better that they're seeing so many passes. Throughout fall camp, that, that, that by the time they get to, you know, game week, it, it's probably going to slow down
1: a little bit for them. One other thing I've noticed uh, from your coverage, Theo, it seems like Eric Powell is making his field goals. Now, again, that doesn't you know doesn't necessarily translate into real you know real gameplay because there are many things that go into whether a kicker is going to make a field goal in a game situation, but. Uh, At least, uh, you know, on the surface, in practice, when the conditions are relatively controlled, he seems to be hitting a lot of his field goals, which for a guy who was so good his sophomore season and then started off his junior season, I think 0 for 6, 0 for 7, uh, it's encouraging to see him at least be fairly consistent in practice so far.
2: Yeah, and like you said, you don't know how it translates, but you'd you'd rather have your kicker be making the the easy kicks in fall camp than missing him, so... Um, I'm going to take it as a positive so far. Until you know, until we we see what he does against Montana State. Like you said, I think he started over five last year. Um, and and uh, was, you know, he's, he's he's been inconsistent throughout his career. But but this is a senior season. You, you would expect a senior kicker who's who's been been through um, at pretty much everything. You have to go through as a kicker. He's missed game winners. He's made you know big field goals. He's he's been. Uh, you know, almost 100% on his PAT, so you kind of know what you have with, with the, the point-after scenarios. I think, uh, you know, I think he's going to have a, a good senior season. I, I talked to him a few weeks ago, and he, he kind of talked about changing his approach during during the summer. Two years ago, you know, it, it was the case of him just going out and drilling, you know, hundreds of kicks until his, his leg got sore and then just getting the repetitions in. I think this summer he, he paid a little more attention to uh, the quality, he would kind of go out and then treat every kick like a game kick so, so rather than go out and kick a hundred he would go out and kick 10 but it would take him the same amount of time because he's setting it up he's going back to the sideline coming back out and, and and really kind of trying to, to imitate what he's gonna be doing on Saturday nights in the fall so um, mm-hmm, you yeah. you know I, I think I think he's gonna have a good year uh, and the other night in the scrimmage no wind it was a pretty calm evening so so he should be making those kicks and he made all three of them so um he hasn't missed much in, in practice, from what I've seen. We'll see how that changes when it's uh, you know snowing and, and windy in Pullman. But uh, but right now, I, I think they have they have a good thing with him back there. And I, I think he felt pretty comfortable with them making uh, m- making most most kicks inside of 50 yards. But like, you know once you get past 50, it's uh, um, it's, it's maybe more of a crapshoot. But uh, but we'll
1: see. I want to see. Uh, this is, uh, you know, I'm a little more down on the team than most folks, and I and I, I can admit that that I am a little more down on the team, and you know, okay, but I'm a pessimist. Uh, if you had to make a prediction right now, and I don't know if I'm, you know, cutting into one of your articles in the future, I know the spokesman does a preview every year of the team, so you can feel free to, you know, to play it cool with me, to play play hard to get with your record at the end of the year. Uh, but if you had to take a guess right now, end of 12 games. Uh, for where this team's going to be. I think they'll be bowl-eligible about seven wins or so. That seven and a half in Vegas line seems about right. If you had to take a guess right now with where this team will be uh, at the end of the season, what would you say their record's going to be?
2: Yeah, well, I'll spoil it here, and then you can also read about it in in the print edition in a week or two. So, uh, you know, I think when you look at the, 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 the two toughest games on the schedule, it's obviously going to be against the USC week week five at home that at, at 7.30 Friday night kickoff. Um, I think that's going to be a very tough one. I, I think if, if USC is coming to Pullman later in the year, maybe a mid-November game where it's, it's snowing and, and uh, the, the, uh, the conditions aren't quite favorable for, for a team from Southern California, mm-hmm. I think maybe you give WC a little more of a chance to win that game. But, you know, I, I think... That's just going to be such a tough game for them to win. Sam Darnold probably going to be a, a Heisman candidate by the end of the year, and, and uh, they, they just have talent at every position. So I think that's going to be a tough one. I'll, I'll certainly pick that as a loss. And, and the other game, uh, of course, the last week of the, the regular season at UW and the Apple Cup. That's that, that, you know, the, the, those are just two teams that, that I think are going to be competing for uh, a, a chance to play in that college football playoff again. So right off the bat, I kind of picked those two as, as, as the definite losses. Um, th- th- there's a few other games uh, at Utah. That's going to be a tough one for them to win. I think Oregon's going to be a little more talented than uh, than most people expect. They just have so many good skilled players. Mm-hmm. Royce Freeman uh, is probably going to break the all- the all-time Oregon rushing record. So um, that's going to be a tough game to win. So so maybe I, I, I give either Utah or Oregon one of those wins. Uh, so so that so I mean, so so that that'll, that'll be three losses for for WCU. Then you kind of go down the schedule and the, 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 you know I, I think game by game um, you, you kind of pick Wcu to win each of those first four um of course we know the history with the with the big sky schools but uh, you know I saw this Montana state team play Idaho last year and they they, they just don't really look the part of a team that, that can upset uh, such such a talented WCU WC offense so I, I think they I think they can, can roll in that season opener and and uh, of course, we'll have to wait and see just just because of the the, the history with uh, with
1: openers under Mike Leach. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, a little. Uh, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not uh, yeah, we'll. Uh, yeah. Anyway.
2: <laughs> we'll wait and see. Maybe uh, maybe uh, <laughs> hold off on a prediction for that game until mm-hmm. until the first half is over. So, uh, um, and, and then of course you go to go to week two, Boise State. Always, always going to be Boise State. But I, I just think uh, they, they lose such a talented running back, and Jeremy McNichols, who I know had a big game against the Cougs last year. Uh, Brett Ripon's going to have a great season, but but I just don't think they can come up to uh, to Pullman and upset the Cougs. So um, I pick those two as wins, and then and then you could, you know Nevada. I think that's going to be a game where they're again just going to be more talented. Oregon State, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be a little more talented than, than most people expect. I've, I've seen Jake Luton play; their, their new quarterback, so I, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll be good. But you, you just go to each of those games, you know, at Cal, um, game at Arizona, you, you're just not going to pick any of those teams to beat WCU. They yeah. may have a chance to, do it, but I think if, if we're making predictions, I'm, I'm going to guess. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to go ahead and guess nine and three right now. Of course, that could change uh, in, in a few weeks, but uh, I'll, I'll go with that. Now and then uh, and, and pick them to, to win end games and, and going into the bowl game, uh, depending on who they get. Have, have a chance to get to that double digit, double digit win plateau
1: um, by the end of the year. I'd love to see that. He's already, he's already learning how to hedge his bets, and it's only interview number one in the Kuksan hour for Theo Lawson, the spokesman review. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Season to preview some indoor sports in the fall, and we sit down with the head coach of the WSU volleyball team. Jen Greeny joins us here on the Kook Center Hour. Uh, Coach, last season, I think it goes without saying, your biggest success in your tenure as the head coach uh, at WSU. First time to the NCAA tournament since 2009. First time they've uh, the team's won a game in the tournament in more than a decade. I know at the end of the season, ranked in the top 25, we kind of knew the name was going to be called when it came time for the tournament, but how did it feel after those years of hard work and everything that went into it, how did it feel to just hear Washington State called into the NCAA tournament?
0: I I think it was more like a, oh, finally. (laughs)
1: Kind
0: of a a, a relief. Yeah, you know, those Years that we've been putting in, you know, it seemed at times like it was 20 years, you know, and, mm. um, but, uh, you know, we finally, hopefully I don't look that old, you know, from the time I've been here. A few more wrinkles, <laughs> but um, ho- hopefully I haven't aged that much, but, you know, it was a ton of hard work and, you know, a, re- a great credit to really that class, um, that senior class last year, you know, that um, recruiting class of 2013 that came in. And, you know, they were our first really big recruiting class, and they committed on a vision. You know, there wasn't Mm -hmm. success those years, you know, right before we got here. And uh, players like Kyra Holt, Haley Bethune, Haley McDonald, and Tawny Stevens, that four, uh, that group of four core players really um, just stuck with us and stuck with the process. And so I was really happy, you know, more for them. Um, you know that all their kind of hard work and dedication really paid off
1: you talked a little bit about you know them recruiting and them committing to a vision which you're right that's what they did but success in this program is something you know very well you played at a time for WSU when they were going to the postseason and you were also an assistant coach when they were going to the postseason did that help you at all recruiting wise for these players you know you can say look I know better than anybody how good this program can be, because I've, I've been there on, on both ends of the bench. I've been there as a player, and I've been there as a coach.
0: I think it definitely helped, uh, you know, just even showing them, you know, hey, you know, I've already done this. I know it can happen here. You know, sometimes at those schools that, you know, they really haven't had that level of success. Maybe that's a harder vision to buy into. But, mm-hmm. you know, those banners that we have on the wall, um, from when I was in a, a player and an assistant coach, you know, we can show them, you know, Hey, we went to the elite eight twice. Like this is something that's very, very doable. And so I definitely think that helped, um, in the recruiting process, um, especially during that time when, like you said, it was just a vision and, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of winning going on.
1: Yeah. You, uh, you talked about her a little bit uh, a couple of minutes ago, Kyra Holt. Uh, I mean, she's sprinkled all over the WSU record books uh, at this point. She's now graduated, uh, and and will no longer be on the team. But uh, just an incredible career at WSU. I mean, up there with legends like Sarah Silvernail and the like. How, how do you do? You, do you, can you even like think of just directly replacing that kind of production, or does it just kind of have to be a by committee to? Replace the kind of production Kyra had at WSU, especially in her senior season.
0: It's definitely going to have to be by committee. Um, you know, if you ha- if you have anybody that you're hiding over there in your the area that you
1: know, <laughs> you think can come and you know replace that right away, send them on over. I mean, but, my my uh, wife's my wife's exhausted it, all of her eligibility, yeah. even though she's six feet tall. Yeah. Just all of her Shoot. eligibility's gone, unfortunately. Shoot. Shoot. yeah, oh man,
0: that's kind of what I was getting at. But yeah, um, yeah, to, to replace Kyra going to be a really tough thing to do but i think um you know we do have a core group of players coming back that understand that that you know that they can't just look to Kyra to kind of get that stuff done that it now falls on their shoulders and mm-hmm. um you know that i think that's what they worked on all spring to kind of spread out the offense a little bit more and um yeah it's hard to replace somebody like that but um i think everybody understands they just have to pick their game up just
1: a little bit more You talked about them a little bit, but McKenna Woodford, Taylor Mims, Casey Shane Line. I mean, you you do you do get three of your top four producers back in terms of kills and in terms of the attack. So, you know, you're, you're right. Losing Kyra, you can't replace a Kyra Holt, but getting those three back, it has to kind of soften the blow a little bit, at least, right? Because you at least know you have these three student athletes you can depend on pretty much week in, week out.
0: Definitely, and you know, all three of those players had some great experience this summer. Um, McKenna Woodford was selected to the top collegiate national team, so she was able to travel to Thailand and play. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor Mims was selected to the second collegiate national team, and she went over to Croatia to the Global Challenge, and she was selected to the All-Tournament team over there. And then Casey Shaneline did some things in Minneapolis with USA Volleyball. So for them, to, you know, to get that kind of opportunity and understand that you know they can be game changers and. Um, you know, to definitely have some more experience under their belt. Yeah, those are definitely the players that we're going to be looking to to kind of, you know, step up and uh, fill those holes from last
1: season. We've talked about in the past, uh, Coach, uh, that the setter is, you know, kind of, sort of. If you want to make a rough analogy, the quarterback of the offense. That so much has to run through them in order for your offense to be successful. You lose Haley McDonald, but Nicole Rajoni, If I'm, I apologize. My pronunciation awful today. I'm. I work in news. Believe it or not. Um then, then she. Uh, you sound she,
0: like it. Yeah, I mean, she is. You're great.
1: I, well, I, I, I take compliments wherever I can get them. Ego boosts are nice. Um, <laughs> that she's back this season, so was able to split time with Hayley McDonald last year. That experience going forward, because, you know, being a setter can be tough, trying to figure out the flow of the offense and understanding where to go and, you know, looking at the defense and seeing who you need to set up to attack. That, that's a very tough job. So it's, it's good to have someone who got plenty of experience last year.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nicole coming back with that Pac-12 experience is huge. And then um, I will say, you know, at the setting position this fall, we've had more depth than we have ever had. We had a transfer come from University of Oklahoma Mm -hmm. last spring, Ash Brown. She's from Dallas, Texas, and, um, you know, was one of the top recruits in the country coming out of high school. And so just her being with us in the spring made um, a great difference. And then we also have a, a freshman, Penny Tusa, Uh, from Long Beach California who's just gonna be great you know she's got to get a little more experience under her belt but just in that setter position uh we definitely um have some great battles going on Mm. in practice and um yeah you're right all the plays really have to run through our setter and they're the players that you know have to know more they have to watch more film they have to put in extra work and they're definitely doing that
1: yeah Volleyball is not all offense. Obviously, there's a lot of defense that goes into it. Alexis Derigi, uh, your leading defensive specialist, back uh, this season. That's a hard position to play to be the person who's got to play defense because you're going to spend a lot of time flat on your torso on uh, a <laughs> ground that's not very forgiving to someone trying to hit the deck really hard to save something. What do you guys? Is, is there like kind of a universal thing volleyball coaches look for in a defensive specialist? Or is there something specific maybe you guys are looking for when you recruit that position uh, at WSU? Or is it just kind of a very universal, we need someone who can really get down to the floor quickly and keep a ball from hitting the floor?
0: Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, what we really look for is somebody not only with the skills of, you know, passing and defense, of course, but, um, you know, they're really the floor captain out there as well as our setter. You know, Mm -hmm. they're out there pretty much for almost every play of the match they're you know kind of directing the defensive traffic um, I guess you could say so somebody that communicates well that can see things that knows you know her other teammates kind of strengths weaknesses and shift things around and uh, you know Alexis got to play every match of her freshman year last year as mm-hmm. a libero and that's a really tough position to come into in the pac-12 as a freshman and so she has a, a ton of um, you know, just ability and you know more confidence this year, and we're really seeing her take over, kind of in this preseason, and direct a lot of traffic, which is, which is great.
1: Uh, uh, directing traffic was something I always wanted to do as a little kid. I found out how little that. Job did, <laughs> um, for. Yeah, we're,
0: we're Get her
1: those like uh, you know things, you know the air traffic controller. Yeah, you know, she's gonna have mm-hmm. some of those out yeah. there this year. So oh, she's got she got that. She's got well set up for right after graduation then for that. Uh, for those <laughs> totally. folks, yeah. For those folks who may not know, um, you know the Pac-12 is good at a lot of things. Um, maybe none more so than women's volleyball because your team, our team, WSU finishes top twenty-five last year uh, into the postseason. Uh, Lost in the second round to Wisconsin, but Wisconsin's a volleyball powerhouse as it is. Uh, But coming into this season, again, no Kyra Holt, but a lot of good returning skill and a lot of good returning players, seventh in the Pac-12. This conference is incredibly hard, and for a WSU team that was so good last year to be seventh, that kind of speaks to how tough this conference is, isn't it? Because it's just an absolute slog week in, week out.
0: Exactly, you know, and it's funny that you know you say that like you're picked seventh, and I'm like, oh man, I'm happy with seventh, yeah. <laughs> you know, seventh any day of the week because if we finish seventh, we are going to the tournament. I mean, that's how the Pac-12 volleyball works. I mean, yeah. there was um, in 2009, ten of the twelve teams went to the tournament. Yeah, um, you know, and all made it to the second round. So uh, this conference is ridiculously good. There's never an easy match there's never an easy weekend um you know you can't overlook anyone so um you know to be picked seventh i think that's actually a a pretty good compliment um just you know the state of the program and how it's been the last few years um yeah it's it's the best that we've been picked since we've been here so uh, we're going to take that and run with it
1: yeah, I was about to say because there's not too many other sports even in the Pac-12 that you would say, oh, seventh—that's really good to be picked. That, but but yeah. the the other six teams ahead of you are all going to be in the top 20 anyway. So it's it's kind of a, a situation right. where do you try to keep that from the you know try to keep that out of your players' minds, or is that just something that's unavoidable in terms of knowing you know week in week out we're going to face some of the best competition in the country? Or you know how how do you guys deal with that on a week to week basis?
0: Yeah, I don't think we talk about it much at all because um, we we know that we're going to be mm-hmm. facing a ranked team sometime, you know, every single weekend. And so it just kind of becomes a, that's what we do. And, and we don't prepare any different than, you know, for Cal than we do for Stanford. Yeah. Um, you know, if Cal's not ranked and Stam- Stanford's number one, um, you know, because we know even though one of those teams might not be as good. It's still they could win probably almost any other conference in the country. Mm-hmm. you know, so uh, just really trying to take one match at a time and get better and focus on the things that we need to do, you know for that weekend. that's really what we what we do and what we focus on week
1: to week i you know I don't want to focus on the week to week. Schedule too much because you know again in volleyball you're gonna you're gonna play a ton of matches so you know that you know there's uh, over nearly two dozen games in the conference schedule that we have to go through and then your non-conference schedule well but one thing I want I do want to focus on from last year you play Washington to start the year the conference year that is uh, in Pullman and last year I think for me just kind of watching this team develop over the last few years going down in set one by nine points to Washington and then coming back and winning three straight sets in Seattle. It, it was the first win in Seattle in something like a dozen years. And and just to come back from a set down against a team like Washington that's so dominant was impressive. What was the feeling like after that that you guys had to have known that you did something incredibly special after that, didn't you? Definitely. You know, we had
0: played a, a pretty tough preseason you know, last year and, you know, we knew going into, um, you know, that stretch where we started, you know, back to play with Washington that it was going to be tough. And, you know, I think we definitely had some nerves that first set and then kind of just settled into it and uh, got the momentum. And, you know, that was definitely a major highlight of, um, you know, not only the season but coaching career since we have been here and, you know, that definitely gave us some confidence going into the next couple of matches. But mm-hmm. anytime we can, you know, win over in Seattle, um, I think that's just huge and um, great, great feeling after that match. So we had a lot of Cougs, a lot of Crimson going on, uh, you know, with all that purple over there at, at Hecked. So it was great for the fans as well.
1: We always end uh, interviews every year on a very tough question. I think I've asked about whether you or your husband, who's an assistant coach, does the dishes. I've, I, ask, I ask the pointed questions here, uh, but I, yeah. I have, I have yeah. one I've been asking everybody, uh, and I want to ask you, because so far you're like the, the, most, uh, the biggest authority in terms of your time, because you, you spend a lot of time in Pullman, both coach, player, what have you. Um, if you can only choose one place for breakfast, Old European or the Breakfast Club,
0: Oh, I'd have to go uh, for the
1: breakfast club. Yes! Thank you! Oh. (laughs) I'm trying to get everybody to come to my side on this, but they just don't understand the the biscuits and gravy over there. I know. I hear ya.
0: But, you know, have you been over here lately and gone to Zoe?
1: No, I have not been there yet.
0: It's the old, like, Tam's place. Mm-hmm. You know, right at the bottom of Stadium Way there.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. You gotta try that out next time. Okay, I'm I'm okay. That's on kind of my go-to place lately. Okay, on a recommendation from the head volleyball coach. I, I, do I get like a discount if I tell them <laughs> that I'm I, that the volleyball coach sent me here? Do I get that? Oh,
0: totally. Hey, next time
1: just text me. I'll, I'll actually take you to breakfast. Oh, that? I ooh, a treat. And I'm not a I'm not an athlete, so it's not an NCAA <laughs> violation. It's perfect. It Works out wonderfully for oh, me. To legal. <laughs> totally legal. <laughs> yeah. Jen Greedy joins us here on the Center. Thank you again for your time, Coach. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Anything.
1: changing things back up again. I, the sound of the week just wasn't working for me. I have a hard time finding sound. I'm not glued into sound. And we already have a really good segment, Dunderhead of the Week. I can complain about something on a podcast, and I make you guys listen to it. It's really superb. It's great. It's really funny. Uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago, we were in Mexico uh, celebrating my wife and some friend's birthday, and... Um, you know, when you travel to Mexico, there's some negotiation on a lot of things, and if you're not careful, sometimes some guys will scam you out of stuff, and, you know, like any any place you travel, you just gotta be aware of what you're paying for. So, when you pay for a shuttle, when I paid for a shuttle from the airport to our resort with a stop at Costco in between, and some goodies in the car, like beer and champagne, don't come at me two weeks later and say I never paid. Don't Well, you were supposed to pay the driver when you got there. Right. I have the receipt. PayPal receipt. The amount it was debited from my bank account on that same day. And an email confirmation from you saying I paid. Oh, whoa, well, whoa, well, we don't know where the money ended up. You know what Leslie Chow said about that in the hangover? Not nah my problem. Not my problem. Cabo transfers. Not my problem. That y'all screwed up. Don't come at... I I keep receipts when I travel. Don't come at me a week later about it. Or two... Heck, heck, this is two weeks later. Almost two weeks after we use the service. Don't come at me about non-payment. When I kept the receipts. Oh, we were looking at the wrong confirmation number. Sorry. Yeah, I bet you were. I bet you were. It's kind of a weak complaint on my part, but... I don't know. It's annoying. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything. Best segment on any podcast anywhere. From at Brian Cop, Brian Cobb, how dark can dark gray be before it becomes black? You're asking the wrong guy. Colorblind guy <laughs> right here. Uh, is charcoal darker than gray? I assume as much because it's charcoal. I'll say charcoal. Charcoal is black. That's how dark it is. At Sean PC7, Sean Clemens. More likely for WSU to win against USC or UW. USC. Short week at home early in the season. USC doesn't have as much of a chance to get on a roll as in sync. U Dub's going to be humming on all cylinders by the time we get to the end of the season. Plus. That's in Seattle. she does have a bye week before, but it just sets up better early September. Short week. USC's got to travel two weeks in a row, even if it's just a Cal the week before, but they do have to be on the road two weeks in a row. So it just sets. I think it sets up a little bit better uh, than that. At Jeff O'Neill, Jeff O'Neill, what's the most underrated part of Cougar football Saturday? Well, A, visiting with me. Uh, I think that's the most underrated part. Honestly, I think just walking around campus again. Every time I get to do that... I have fun doing that. I get to see campus again. Uh, and, and just seeing places that I used to be and used to hang out. Uh, that's a lot of fun. From our own Zane Murphy at Zane underscore RM, if you could steal any one player from another Pac-12 team and put them on WSU for this season, who are you taking? You think about Miles Gaskin at UW, but uh, WSU is such a good stable of running backs. But I think I might still take – I mean, you know – I would be, I'd be very happy with him, or, or him or Royce Freeman. Uh, I would take and just just add to it, just add more running backs. We're gonna we're gonna run out of the wishbone every single play from now on. That's what I would probably do. That's who I would take anyway. Or Sam Darnold. I know Luke Falk's very good, but Sam Darnold's just stupidly talented. At Wazoo 507, Keith Wazoo Coons just took a bad L. Drink of choice. Coons grabbed a big W. Drink of choice. Pendleton. Pendleton this period Pendleton. at BC Baird 28 can Ravens fly faster on Westeros than on Earth okay confession time I don't watch Game of Thrones and it's not a contrarian thing I don't want to watch it it's nothing like that I have to be on Twitter on Sunday nights for my work because I need to see if news happens and it gets spoiled for me no matter what so I, I would literally have no way to watch it without knowing what's going on it's just like, it, it's a wonderful show the few episodes I've seen but it just again it's not a contrarian thing I just don't want to watch it because other people watch it it just don't want to at Aaron Hahn media Aaron Hahn playing Bonnie Tyler on Eclipse Day hack or no hack you're a hack that that you took the easy way out on that one took the easy way out at WazooCougarX... X. Shane Farm D, it's a simple question, doctor. Would you eat the mood if it was made of ribs? Yeah. At our blank 99 I mean, yeah, I love ribs. At our blank 99 if your five-year-old self suddenly found itself inhibiting, or inhabiting, rather, your current body, what would your five-year-old self do first? Eat every piece of candy mom wouldn't let me eat before. That—that That is literally what five-year-old me would do. I, I have zero, absolutely zero doubt about that. From our own Brian Anderson, at B17Anderson, what's the most overrated thing you've ever experienced? I tell everybody this, it is unequivocally the Mona Lisa. Boring, just typical painting. Nothing special about it. Last week without a football game. We'll see you next week on the Kook Center Hour.